So tonight's study is going to be on 1 Samuel chapter 8, and the title of this message is Israel Demands a King. How it all came about as far as how the, Israel became like everybody else in the nation. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, over to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, we'll go ahead and read the first three verses, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get started. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and this is Samuel appoints his sons as judges. So it starts out in verse 1 that it says, Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gains, took bribes, and perverted justice. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for allowing us to gather here in this place this evening, Heavenly Father. That we just, everything that we have, any kind of situation that we are in today, Heavenly Father, that we just bring it before your throne of grace. And just to be able to listen to your word this evening, Heavenly Father. That whatever it is that, that you're able to touch our hearts with, Heavenly Father, that you give us an open heart, Heavenly Father, to be able to receive your word, to be able to receive your Holy Spirit as well, Lord Jesus. Lord, Heavenly Father, we lift up Pastor Charlie as he is traveling uh, to Idaho at this moment, Heavenly Father, and to be able to, to do the things he's got to do up there, Heavenly Father, and just bring him back safely to us at the appropriate time, Lord Jesus. Lord Father God, we also lift up Trini and, and Susie Marcus, Heavenly Father, and also for the, for the passing of his, of, of his sister Maria, Heavenly Father. We lift up the, the entire family as, as they mourn right now, Heavenly Father, but knowing that she's, she's in your hands right now, Lord Jesus, we just want to lift that up to you right now, Lord Heavenly Father. And we just thank you so much for the opportunity that you give me, Heavenly Father, to be here before our brothers and sisters, to be able to share your word with them, Lord Heavenly Father. And we just love you and thank you and praise you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we start out with this particular first three verses, and it starts out when it says that when Samuel was old, he made his, ju his sons judges over Israel. You know, Samuel was one of the most godly men in the entire Bible. He is never specifically said to have sinned. Yet, this may, this may be a sin in his part as far as him appointing his son as judges. We, we never have the pattern of judges being appointed by men or of, a, of an office of judge being passed from, from father to son. Samuel was not right in appointing his son's judges over Israel. Samuel's two sons were named Joel, translated means Jehovah is God. And his other son is named Abijah, which is Jehovah is my father. So we have two, two of his sons that have godly names. But as we can see here, however, that they did not live up to their names, for they proceeded to be wicked sons. And as we can see here in the first couple of verses, towards the end of it, it says that they turned aside their dishonest gains, took bribes, and perverted justice. What kind of judges did Samuel appoint in order for him to judge over the people of Israel? But they were never judges in the proper sense of the word. Samuel was the last judge in Israel, and he judged it to the day of his death. And we can see that in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, where it says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. We see here that at this particular point in time, there is not a king, a physical king over Israel. We're talking about God himself being the king over Israel. God has helped the people of Israel conquer over so many wars 
without having to have the, the king. So the only thing that God has in place right now is the judges. Or in this case, Samuel is his judge. But Samuel took it upon himself to appoint his two, his two sons to help him out as he's getting older and to be able to judge the people of Israel. So his sons did not walk in his ways. This is why Samuel was wrong to appoint his sons as judges over Israel. This kind of nepotism is common, but harmful mistakes many leaders in ministry make, especially as they grow older. You know, hopefully we won't see that in our church, but you know, wherever we go, regardless of whether, even if it's in our own homes, you know, before we start serving the Lord, that we got to make sure that things are right in our own household. That we, as men of God, we, as the a, as, as a servants of our, our, our household, as our head of our household, are serving the Lord, and we're also making sure that our own children are following in that same path that we are. And in this case with Samuel, like I said, you know, they've, they've got two godly names, but they weren't walking in the ways of Samuel. And it seems like maybe Samuel was just too busy at the time to be able to, to correct his children, to be able to disciple his children, to be able to, to teach him about the word of God. But yet, he took it upon himself to be able to appoint his sons as judges to help him along. And then he goes on to say that they turned aside to dishonest gains, took bribes, and perverted justice. You know, this was already bad enough. But what many of our leaders do today seems worse. We almost wish our leaders only as bad as these of son of Samuel's. You know, before, before we, uh, we started the service, you know, I was talking to Pastor James, and we were kind of talking about this. And it seems like this happens kind of within our, our own church as well. You know, people, you know, he was, telling, uh, he was telling me that, you know, there was stuff that was here in the church, and all of a sudden it just, be, just became missing. You know, nobody knew where it went or if they borrowed it, they never returned it. You know, kind of simple little stuff like that. But that's where it all starts off, with the simple little stuff, and then it just goes on to be, grow bigger and bigger. And if you can see here with his two sons, that they turned aside to this donish, took bribes, and perverted justice. So basically what they were there for was to be able to watch over the people of Israel. The main thing they were there for as, as the people of Israel were coming over to the temple and they were doing their, their sacrifices, you know, they, of course, one of the, probably the main things that we had to do is to make sure that the animal was the proper animal they had to do. Or in this case, you know, they, had, they would give monetary uh, donations or whatever the case was. But probably what, they, what Samuel's sons were doing is in order for them to gain monetary aspects for themselves, it's like, we'll go ahead and just go ahead and take the bribes for ourselves, you know, a little bit for us and a little bit for, for the Lord and stuff. So, you know, this is where it all started as they turned aside to dishonest gain, they took the bribes and then perverted justice. So we can see now in verses 4 through 5 that Samuel's sons are rejected as leaders over Israel. So this does not go unnoticed. So in verses 4 and 5, then it says, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So all the elders of Israel gathered. So again, so here we see that Samuel is the judge. And of course, he's got his two sons that are his, his assistant judges. And now we have the elders that are coming forth and they're seeing what's going on, so they're saying, it's like, yo, Samuel, 
I'm sorry, bro, but you're getting old and your sons are, look what they're doing. We want a king. You're not going to be around forever. We want a king that's going to be able to judge us just like you did in your entire life. You know, so all the elders and the, uh, they gathered. This was a wise. This was wise for the elders of village. It was wise for the elders of Israel to do this, to make Samuel aware of what was going on. But it takes, But at the same time, is they didn't have to do. They did not have to accept leaders who were obviously ungodly and unfit to lead. But at the same time, while it was while it was wise for leaders of Israel to reject Samuel's sons as leaders, it was wrong for them to say. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. That's where the downfall of everything started right here for Israel. You know, this is this in itself, and the desire to have the king was not bad. God knew that one day Israel would have a king. 400 years before this happened, the Lord knew that this was going to happen. God gave instructions to Israel about their future king. A king was in God's plan for Israel. So again, like I said, before all of this happened, the Lord already knew that a king was going to be coming into place. And this is what we're talking about in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. And it talks about the principles of governing kings. In verse 14, it says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is given you, and possesses it, and dwell in it, and say, I was set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. You shall, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of his law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to absorb, to observe, excuse me, all the words of his law and his statutes. That his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may, he may not turn aside from the command, commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his day in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So we see here that already the Lord, 400 years before all of this happened, He's already set this in motion as far as knowing what the people of Israel were going to do. 400 years before all of this happened. Yet the, the reason Israel wanted a king was wrong. And for what reason? To be like the rest of the nations. There's no reason at all. We often get into trouble by wanting to be like the world. When we should instead be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. In Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which in your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We see here, as far as what it says in Deuteronomy, what was being said as far as multiplying horses, multiplying money, multiplying wives, and not having to go back to, to uh, Egypt. But at the same time, when you look at Saul, when you look at David, and when you look at Solomon, what did they all do? Exactly what it says in Deuteronomy. They did the opposite. They had all their horses. They multiplied horses. They had plenty of gold. They had plenty of wives. And then we saw what happened to Solomon as far as how he fell. He had one too many wives. So we see here that everything that the Lord has already told all three kings what not to do is they've already done it. We may also get into trouble when we want the right things for the wrong reason. In those situations, God may give us what we want and then deal with us regarding the reason later on. So as the saying goes, you know, be careful what you ask for because you might get it, but at the same time, there comes consequences with it, right? So we have to be careful on those kind of situations. So we see here, we're looking at it, so what is the difference between a king and a judge? So a, we're talking about this in, back in those days, okay? So a judge was a leader raised by God, usually to meet a specific need in a time of crisis. When the crisis was over, usually the judge just went back to doing what he was doing before. A king not only held his office as king as long as he lived, he also passed his throne down to his descendants. We see this within all the churches. Of course, we have the pastors, we have the elders, and we also have the deacons. So before any, any pastor, before any, before any pastor is ordained, or even any elder or deacon is appointed, everybody gets together and they pray. And then the head pastor is the one that actually will make the decision which the Lord has given them as far as picking out who the elders are going to be and who the deacons are going to be. Okay? So in addition, a judge would, would not have a specific, a, specific, a specific government. He was there to meet a specific need in a time of crisis. A king would establish a standing government with a bureaucracy, which is both a blessing and a curse to any people. And we can see that nowadays in this world. And Judges 8, Gideon was offered the throne over Israel. He refusing, saying, if we look at Judges 8, verse 23, and it says that, But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. So we see here that we have a person, Gideon, that was told to be a king, but he was like, no, I don't want to be a king. We already have a king. Our Lord God is king. Even before chapter 8 in 1 Samuel, before then, we can see everything that the Lord has done for the people of Israel. Even afterward, especially if we look at the life of David, how the Lord helped out David as a king, especially when it came to battles. When David was at war, you know, we, we, also, we, we also see, especially even when Saul was trying to kill him, when David had that big old target on his back, and Saul knew that David was going to be the next, the next king of Israel, we see here that at one point, David is so close to Saul 
that he could have literally taken a spear and just killed him right there. Even his servants, even one of his soldiers was like, he's right there. You can go ahead and do it. But David was like, no, this is not for me. The Lord is going to deal with him. The Lord is going to judge him, and the Lord is going to deal with, 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 uh, with Saul. And even before that, in some of the other battles, when he was fighting the Philistines or any of the any other people that were trying to take over Israel, the Lord helped out David in whatever, needed, in whatever David needed to do as far as relaying to him how he needed to plan out his battle plans, what, where he needed to set his troops, and when the attacks were going to happen. You know, this is, we can see here that, of course, David was just a man of God's own heart, but at the same time, David also had his faults. You know, so, so this was the heart of all the judges and why Israel went some 400 years in the promised land without a king. 400 years without a king, and then all of a sudden, they decide, out of the blue, we want a king. And for what purpose? Of course, we can see at the beginning of the chapter where it says that the two sons that were doing all the, they were not walking in the ways like Samuel was. So they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be like the rest of the nations. So we also see in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verses 6 through 8 that Samuel prays about their request and God answers. In verse 8, it starts, I'm sorry, in verse 6, it starts out, but the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So when Samuel heard this, that the people of Israel wanted a king, they demanded a king, this thing displeased him. It displeased Samuel. So Samuel was, he was, he was stung by the rejection of his sons, of course. But even more than that, Samuel said that the ungodly motive behind the elders' request for the king. Why would the elders do that? Why would the elders say that we want a king? Well, number one, we can see that it's, you know, what his sons were doing, but he was still memorized or he was just puzzled as why the people wanted a king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. This is the right thing to do whenever we are displeased. We should never carry out such troubles with us. Instead, we should do what Samuel did when he prayed to the Lord. And I've said this time and time again. I've said it in the other two studies here, and I always say it in the men's study, that we have a tendency to keep God in a box. Whenever something happens, whenever something's going wrong, whenever something's not going our way, we break out that little box, we take out to God, break out God, and we start praying for him, and then we put him back. This is one of the things where it says that God is always with us, always with us always in our hearts. So Samuel did the right thing by going before the Lord and he prayed things. You know, things do not always turn out as we had hoped and we get, disple and we get disple displeased for our own sakes and God's sake. And this is the part where it, in God's time, this is going to happen. Sometimes it might take a day. Sometimes it might take a week. 
Sometimes it might take a month. Sometimes it might even take years before the Lord's going to be answering your prayer. But the thing to remember is that we never stop praying. We never stop bringing the situation before his throne of grace. We always pray. Always. We had planned in one direction, but events issued in another. And the results have threatened to become disastrous. There is but one resource. If we allow these pleasures to eat into our heart, they will corrode and injure it. We must prepare them before God, spreading the letter before him, as Hegaziah did, making requests like Paul, crying like Samuel. Surely it is the mistakes of our life that we carry out our burdens instead of handing them over, that we worry instead of trusting that we pray so little. This is one of the mistakes that we always make every single day of our lives, regardless if we've been walking with the Lord for a few days, a few months, a few years, or for 30, 40 years, is that we think that we're not worthy to come before him and pray for him and bring those burdens before him where we're thinking, well, we're too sinful, we're too prideful, we're, we're not good enough for God. Never. We are never that, brothers and sisters. Everything that we do, everything that we have, everything that we must know is we bring before the Lord. Bring it before his throne of grace. Not only should you be praying, praying together with your family, get your other uh, brothers and sisters and have them pray for you as well too until the prayer has been answered. And like I said, sometimes it just takes years. And those are just one of the things that we can never do with God is give him a time frame. Never give him a time frame. Well, God, you know what? I need this done by September the 22nd at 12 o'clock p.m. Guess what? Not in God's time, okay? Not in God's time. So we need to make sure that we just bring it all before his throne of grace, pray before him in everything that we do. And again, like I said, you know, Samuel, Samuel, did, did, Samuel did do the right thing. He brought this up before the Lord because it displeased him because Samuel was under the impression, it's like, you know what? They're rejecting me. But God told him, guess what? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Okay? Surely it is a mistake of our lives that we need to pray. We need to pray this little or this little. We just need to pray. And it says, heed the voice of the people. God told Samuel to fulfill the people's request. It was not because the request was good or right, but because God was going to teach Israel through this. Sometimes when we insist of having something bad, God will allow us to have it, then we learn the consequences. Again, in many years, this was a matter of timing. God knew Israel would one day have a king, but he wanted to give Israel that king in his own timing. Because Israel was demanding a king out of bad carnal reasons, God would, would give them a bad carnal king. Israel would get what they want, and it will hurt because of it. So at that moment, when the elders came before Samuel and said, we want a king, that's when everything started to change for Israel. Just like, what, just like we talked about, just like I talked about in the last teaching as far as the, the rise and the fall of Solomon, we see here that, and this is the entire nation of Israel, the entire of an Israel, nation of Israel has is risen up, and now we're going to start seeing the downfall of Israel, of what's happening, because they want a king. 
They want to be like the rest of the nation. They want to be like everybody else. And again, like I said, it's, it, it, Samuel thought that they were rejecting him, but the God said, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. God had a purpose in not giving Israel a king up to that point. It was because he did not want him to put an ungodly trust in, in, in the king instead of trusting in the Lord. Now Israel is rejecting the plan of God and declaring that they do not want the Lord God to reign over them. In the words, they have, re they have not rejected you, we sense God comforting Samuel. It is as God saying, Samuel, don't take it personal. Don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you, but me. It is easy for God's servants to take such rejection personally when they should not. And, sometimes, and that's exactly as, as servants of the Lord, whether you're a, an elder, a deacon, somebody volunteering in any kind of ministry, especially when you're evangelizing to the people, especially when you're spreading the news of the word of the Lord to the people, guess what? You're going to get a lot of rejections, right? Pretty sure some of you guys have already seen that, especially when you're teaching the word of God to a non-believer. You're going to get rejected. And should we take that personally? Nope. Because what's going to happen? We need to bring it before God, and God will deal with them. God will give them discernment. God will open up their eyes. God will plant. The thing that we're doing out there is doing what? Is we're planting that seed. Once we plant that seed, we let the Lord take over and see what he does, it, does with it. You know, it's easy for God's servants to take such rejection personally when they should not. Jesus warned his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, where it says, He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me, I'm sorry, he who rejects me rejects him who sent him. So here we're talking about as far as Jesus. Jesus said the exact same thing when he was, when he was walking on the earth. As long as we're not being personally offensive or obnoxious, we shouldn't take such person, rejection personally. We can sit there and in a loving way talk to the non-believer, talk to somebody, to the Lord, and then we just leave it at that. They think to remember, do it in a loving way, but not being obnoxious or getting into arguments with them because there, there are times where he... Deep inside of you, you start feeling that where you actually want to take your Bible and you want to just say the words go into them you know, or something, you know. But that's not the way it's, it's to be done. It's to be done in a loving way. In fact, Israel was forsaking God by asking for a king. They have forsaken me, it says. So they are, so they are doing to you also. When the, elder of, when the elders of Israel asked for a king... They were thinking that better politics or government could meet their needs. But if they had just been faithful to their king in heaven, they wouldn't have a needed king on earth. And this all happened because Samuel's sons were not walking in the way of Samuel. They were being perverted, they were taking bribes, and they were just not walking in the way of the way they're supposed to be. You know, this, this strikes us as simply unfair. Had not God shown himself to be a worthy king? 
Didn't he demonstrate his ability to lead the nation and demonstrate it over and over again? Before, again, like I said, before even the start of this chapter, even when we go before that, we can see where the Lord has just taken the, the people of Israel out of all the situations that they were in. There is a sense in which the rejection of, of, of God as our king is prophetic. When Jesus stood before Pilate, the assembled Jewish mob declared, we have no king but Caesar, right? We can see that in John 19, verse 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So Jesus was a rejected king also. And we can see that, especially with God and especially with Jesus, we see that two, both of them, are being rejected. So in verse 9 in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God tells Samuel to warn the nation. In chapter 8 it says, Now there, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. You shall solemnly forewarn them. The sense in this verse is that Israel will not change their mind. And this is not Samuel's goal. His goal is to simply forewarn them. If this was the course Israel would choose, God wanted to make them to make an informed choice. So the Lord tells Samuel to show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Of course, information creates responsibility in telling Israel this. Samuel was not only helping them to make an informed choice, he was increasing their accountability by making the right choice. They couldn't say, we didn't know. We didn't know. And it's just one of those things where we always hear that. It's like you forewarn somebody and then something does happen they can't, come back, they can't come back to you and say, well, I didn't know. Well, guess what? You were warned about this. So this is exactly what's happening with the people of Israel. They were being forewarned as far as what was going to happen once, the, once their king was going to be issued to them. So Samuel warns the nation of responsibility of having a king. In verses 10 through, eight, 10 through 18, it says, so T Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. I want you to listen carefully to these, some of these words that, be, that I'm going to be saying. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to plow his grounds and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage 
and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, for female, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put, them, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because your king, whom ye have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you on that day. So the people of Israel have been warned as far as what's going to happen. This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. God wanted Israel to know there would be problems connected with having a king. In Israel's view, they had problems that would be solved by having a king. While those problems might have been solved, God wanted them to know a king would bring other problems as well. They should carefully weigh the benefits against the problems. Many people fail to do that properly today. When a problem comes up, they think up of, a, they think up of an answer that brings more problems with it. But they don't, they don't maturely look at the situation and anticipate the problem the solution will bring. Others will never do anything unless they come up with a perfect solution, one that has no problems. There's rarely a perfect solution, but that doesn't mean we should do nothing. It means we should maturely look at and measure the good and the bad, pray for the guidance, wait on the Lord, and step out in faith. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like that's, this is happening to us every single day? When a problem arises, we always try to find what? That perfect solution. We see somebody doing something. Maybe you should try it this way. You want to help me out? I'm, I'm too busy right now. I, I, I can't do that. So we see that everywhere. Not only do we see it in our work jobs, but we also see it here in our very own church. This is some of the things where, as the saying goes, instead of being part of the problem, try to be part of the solution, right? So like I said before, when I asked you guys to listen to some of the words, and here they are. He will take. He will take. He will take. He will take, he will take, he will take, he will take, and you will be his servants. The Lord, through the prophet Samuel, is giving fair warning. Most kings are takers, not givers. And they come to be served, not to serve. If Israel wanted a king, they must realize that he will be a taker, not a giver, and they will be his servants. So if we look, even if we look at, Sam, at Saul, we look at David, and we look at Solomon, we can see that all of those kings were what? They were takers. They took. Because if you see the amount of chariots they had, the amount of wives they had, the amount of gold they had, even though David was a man after God's own heart, he still took. Okay? He still took. So not every king is a taking king. The king of kings is a given God. Jesus said himself in chapter, I'm sorry, in Matthew 20, uh, in Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. That is the 
biggest one that you can think of. The one that he, that we actually, he took from us. When they put him up on that cross, that was his ransom. You know, Paul carries the same thought in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. This is talking about the humble and exalted Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. When we look at Paul, who was Paul? Paul was one of the ones that was crucifying or was killing the, the believer that was killing the Christian until he was on that road to Damascus and the Lord knocked him off his horse and blinded him. And he asked him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And this is sometimes when the Lord talked to us, when we have those tendencies, when we're doing that wrong thing or when we're trying to make that decision, that in the back of our head, in the back of our minds, the Lord is probably saying, what are you doing? Bring it before me. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm not going to take. I'm going to give you what you need. Unlike any king that we've had in the past, which they were all take. They were all going to take. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, calls us to a royal a priesthood. But you, have chosen you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we are royalty, let us, be, let us be like our King Jesus, a given king, not a taken king. And on that note, think about this. If we look at Israel, what's happening to Israel nowadays, especially within the last couple of days of what's happening, as far as, I think, I, hopefully I can get this right, you know, Syria was had downed a Russian plane, and who did they put the blame on? They put the blame on Israel. So Israel is fighting right now. Israel's trying to get out of this situation that they're in. Israel is in this type of situations every day. And if you look at the maps, you see this little bitty speck on that map that's Israel. This land, the holy land, the Lord's, the Lord's land. Little bitty speck. But you look at everything else around it, you see this big nations that are surrounded by Israel. Any of those nations could probably take over Israel within a snap of a finger. But the Lord has his hand over Israel and nothing can happen to Israel until that prophecy comes to play. So the Lord has his hand over Israel, watching over Israel, and he's protecting not only the nation of Israel, but he's also protecting the people. And this should have been the true assignment for any king in the times of Saul, in the times of David, in the times of Solomon, as far as protecting the people. But needless to say, is they all were takers and not givers. And as we can see here, we had one giver, in which was Jesus Christ.
and you will cry out on that day because your king whom you have chosen. He's already given him the warning. If you do not change your ways, I'm going to give you this king, and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen. Why would Israel cry out? Because they wanted a king for unspiritual, ungodly reasons. So God will call this coming king your king and make it clear that he is the king whom you have chosen. If Israel had waited for God's king, they would not have needed to cry out unto the Lord. But since the people of Israel demanded a king, since the elders became, came forth, Samuel, and said, we want a king, and Samuel was hurt, God told him, don't take this hard, man. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So it also made Samuel upset. He was hurt. But now the Lord is talking through Samuel and relaying all these messages before the people, and this is what's going to happen. So in verses 19 through 22, Israel demands a king despite God's warning. Starting in verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. So even after their warning was given, even after the Lord had laid down everything was going to happen if you take a king, of all the things that the king was going to take, they still refused and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. Israel demanded a king. And as, it, and as it will work out, this is exactly what happens. God gives Israel their king, Saul. Later, after their king fails, God will give Israel his king, David. Because we know godly, God ultimately wanted Israel to be a monarchy. We may just even guess that if Israel had, had not forsaken the Lord here, God would have made David the first king of Israel and spared the nation and David all the trouble Saul caused. So when the first king was appointed, when Saul was appointed king over, over Israel, technically Saul didn't want to become king. He even went to go hide so he wouldn't be recognized as king. But once he took the throne and the Lord had given him specific instructions on what to do, on what battles to fight, what people to terminate, which he failed at, and now we see all the consequences that's happening. As Saul was coming through his monarchy, or for his car, his kingmanship, at any given time, because remember at the beginning, it says that with kings, this can go on from family member to family member to family member. So with Saul, he could have probably passed this down to one of his sons, and they would have gone forward. But since Saul rejected God himself very early on, God took the kingdom away from, from Saul. And Saul knew that David was going to be the next king. So that put a big target 
on David. And for several years, David was out in the wilderness. Even at the point where he was, he was proclaimed king, Saul was still after him. So David was on a run. David wasn't even in Jerusalem where the, where, where the, where the palace was. He was on the run from, from Saul. So David and his, uh, his uh, mighty 200, 400, I forget it was. So we're, we're talking about pretty much the uh, bottom of the barrel that he was scraping up here to gather up his army in order for him to, to go about and do the Lord's work. And then after David became king, after Saul was killed, David became king. And then, of course, we see that David, same thing. He started way up here on top. Started with his sins, started with everything that's going on as far as the adultery, the murder, and so forth. But if you go back and you read these stories, if you read the history of Saul, you can clearly see that Saul never even repented of his sins. But with David, he did repent of his sins. And that's probably why the Lord spared him, because David was like, you know what? I'm not perfect. That is me that you're talking about when Nathan was, was talking to him in the parable. And David was like, that's me. I need to repent. I, I need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord. So this is the difference between Saul, David, and even with Solomon as far as the difference between those three kings right there. You know, the heart of the nation of Israel is revealed by the reason for one of the king that we also may be like all the nations. That was their reason, is that they wanted to be just like everybody else in the nation. God never wanted this to be a goal for Israel. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God wanted to make Israel something special and they wanted to be just like everyone else. God had a plan for Israel. God had everything in control up until the point where the people of Israel said, we want a king, and then that's when everything kind of fell apart for Israel because they wanted to be just like everybody else. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Think about this, what? That, they, that, that, that our king, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Had the Lord never, give, had never won a, a battle for Israel before? God had just won a spectacular battle for Israel in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel when the people were all running away from the Philistines and the Lord was like, time out guys, time out. Let's, let's gather together. Let's, 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 this is the plan that I have. And they went forth and they defeated the Philistines. They had a king in the Lord God. This was the only king they needed. K-I-N-G. Capital K-I-N-G. That's all they needed was that type of king. What they wanted was the image of a king. Their desire for a king was really the desire for someone to look at with their own eyes that looked like, what they thought a king should look like. Since they couldn't see God, we want to be able to see somebody. We want to be able to see that person that I'm looking at, and he's looking back at me, that could be able to rule and judge over us. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice 
and make him a king. They are rejecting the rule of God, yet they cannot escape it. Because God will appoint their king, God will never step out of his, God will never step off his throne, even if man asks him to. Yet if, yet if we resist the rule of God, he will find that we do not benefit from it the way that we might. When we resist God, we only hurt ourselves. With everything that's going on in the world, especially with the non-believer, you always hear him say, where was your God? Well, guess what? He's always been there. It's the non-believers. It's the people that take God out of everything. Takes God out of schools. Takes God out of work. Takes God out of even other stores when it comes to Christmas and stuff. Takes God out of everything. So God will always be there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always be there for us. So even at this time for Israel, God has always been there for them. Even after all the battles that the Lord has won for them, has gone out forth and, and fought for them, they still want that person. They still want to see that physical person so they can look at him and say, we want you to judge us. We want you to go before us and fight our battles for us. We want you to protect us. So of course, like I said, when it comes to problems, it also comes with consequences as well, too. And in this case, we see, as we go forth, we're going to see the big consequences for Israel as far as what's going to happen once the, 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 uh, the king is appointed. To finish this off, let me leave you guys with a couple of statements here. Child of God, children of God today, do you find yourselves in the Lord's perfect or his permissive will for your life? Just think about that. If you are in his permissive will for you and living under the Lord's hand of discipleship, the discipline, there's only one way to get back into his perfect will so that you can enjoy all the great blessings of being there. It is to get right with God. It is, it is to get right with the Lord. Have you removed the idols from your lives? Have you confessed all of your sins to the Lord? Have you trusted in the blood of Jesus that you completely work of, that the complete work of Christ on the cross alone to atone for all your sins? Think about that. Pray about that. 